Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Today I'm chatting with the amazing Elizabeth Gold. She and we actually get off on a conversation about possums, can you believe it or not, um, in Australia, and... I talk about how they're very well known here in North Carolina, but that's not even the point behind it. She actually is the author of the book called Feeling Forwards. And it's basically the whole concept is that you want to, if you want to have a successful life, you go ahead and live like you are already successful. And she knows what she preaches because she has gone through a amazing, not amazing, but gone through a lot of turmoil in her life to be able to see the other side and be positive in the outlook and I cannot wait to read more of her stuff and guys this book is one that you definitely want to read and I will I've linked it in the show notes where you can actually get the book and where you can find her and you know what I need you to do right now that's right start listening Welcome back to I'm so excited to have Elizabeth here today. She wrote the book Feeling Forwards, and I'm halfway through this book and I cannot put it down basically. But I take time to sit there and research and look up some of the things that she mentioned. So that's why I'm only halfway through. But Elizabeth, before we start talking about your book, let's talk about you. Give us a brief intro of who Elizabeth is. Sure. Well, I'm a first-generation Australian. My parents were English migrants and we arrived here and it was it was a bit of a, a tough start. They were unskilled. They worked incredibly hard, but we had some ups and downs in the in the early years. And I became quickly very fascinated with how some people could become very successful and some people really, really struggled. And that's when I think my interest in storytelling and writing started because we went through a a very hard time as a family where there was a bit of a struggle for food because the owner of the business my father worked for had died suddenly. And I think I was about nine years old and I realised that sometimes life wasn't easy and I wanted to know how I could change my own circumstances when I got older. So... I headed to the library and I started in the autobiography biography section because I figured if someone had had a book written about them, they would have been successful. So I started reading stories of all these people that had dreamed of something big and achieved it. And that's when my fascination, I think, when with emotions and creating your future truly started because in every book I read, whether it was someone who wanted to be a politician or someone who wanted to be a movie star or someone who became a fantastic businessman, in the early, or person, in the early years, they were either told their nose was too big or their speeches were boring or they were never going to make it, they weren't good looking enough, they weren't enough in this, this and this. But somehow they had a dream and they made it through to the other side. And those early years when I was growing up in Melbourne, Australia, which is kind of right at the bottom of the mainland, that's when my interest in in stories and and how believing in a dream can change your life really started. Well, you've had a lot of things that you've had to overcome during your lifetime too. You uh, breast cancer, you're a breast cancer survivor. You're also a survivor of uh, assault. with your children present. So let's talk about how you were able to use your emotions to get past that. 
Yes. As I say, I had a, I, I've had in, in my personal life a slightly more colourful life than I would have perhaps chosen for myself, but there it is. I actually had an experience when I was a teenager at school. I was uh, in a car with my boyfriend driving home from a, a music, a classical music concert of all things, but we were involved in a head-on collision and, and sadly I watched the other driver die on the, the side of the road and that was a really confronting moment for a 17-year-old and it made me appreciate that life is very short. I had this, I don't know, I must have been watching Days of Our Lives or something when I was when I was growing up because one of the biggest shocks was that I had this vision that, that we kind of die in bed when we're 92 and we've got our weeping relatives around us and that's kind of how it's absolutely guaranteed going to happen. And then after that, terrible, terrible loss and that terrible incident, I realised, oh, okay, so it doesn't actually always work out this way. So I have to find a way to come to terms with that, but still be able to move forward with hope and confidence. And that's when I, I dived even deeper into, well, you can look at how you were thinking. You can notice what you're noticing. You can choose to look at an incident as a terrible thing from which you'll never move forward or something that can inspire you to grow. And when I later, I actually had the home invasion before I got breast cancer and they were um, they were linked in a horrible way. But once again, even looking back at that awful time, I still choose what I notice. Mm -hmm. I can go back and write about it, but in the home evasion, I was I was very badly injured while I was defending my children, and uh, the attacker fled eventually when my husband came home unexpectedly. But if I look back, the first thing I choose to notice about that is the first policeman on the scene, and he burst into the house, and I was in a state of, let's say, considerable disarray, and he said, are you all right? And the look of concern and horror and anguish on his face and I, I can still go back to that moment and feel even at that moment I knew I was so grateful this complete stranger had come in on this scene and he was just worried about how I was. So what I learned to do and then it became formulated in a much more accessible way for everyone else is that at any point in time no matter what is happening to us we can actually choose how we feel about it. But big caveat, and I've written articles about this and blogs about this, and I know you've had an extraordinary life as well as everyone has. You don't have to be glad about the terrible things that happened to you. I, I'm always in awe when I see a cancer survivor get up on stage and they say, I, I'm really glad I had cancer. And I think that's a beautiful place of grace to get to if that's what works for you. For me, I'm I'm actually not glad that, that a lot of these horrendous things happened, but I have found a way to choose a purpose and meaning to associate with those events, and that's given me an incredible amount of, of hope and confidence in how I've moved forward from that. That's Does that answer your question? That totally answered my question because actually the next question I was going to ask you is something you wrote about in your book. It says selecting emotional focus like what you focus on yes and I, I love this I, I'm often coaching um, I love it when I coach accountants or anyone to do with finance because they really firstly they're more used to dealing with the facts rather than feelings but they always worry about the gap so uh, I had a client come to me recently and he said okay so I'm feeling forwards that my business is going to grow. But right now the figures are here. And I have to feel forwards they're going to be here, but I get stuck in the gap. And it's such a great, it's it's such a great image. But I, I say to him, okay, let's just take your life as it is right now and let's draw a line down the middle of the page. And we're only going to talk about reality. We're not going to talk about your future right now. We're going to talk about exactly what's happening today. So you say you've got the figures. Well, you can notice everything in your life that isn't going well. You can notice everything that's still on your to-do list. You can notice all the areas of improvement that you want to work on within yourself or maybe within your family. Or on the other side of the page, you can choose to notice everything that is working. 
You can choose to notice how happy you feel when you do do that difficult task that you were putting off. You can choose to notice how grateful you are when you see your kids running around in the garden. You know they're healthy and happy. And you can take those feelings and imagine how you're going to feel in the future once you have reached everything you want to do and you've become the person you want to be. So that's your emotions are very much, for many years we've, we've really held up thoughts and habits as the ultimate goal. But if thinking would make you happy and successful, we would keep every New Year's resolution and we would carry out every good intention. And we both know that that just doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. And what I think, one of the other things that I really loved about this was you said whatever info you observe will be reflected in your mind. She talked about when you're watching the news that you just kind of glance, but you don't get absorbed into the, all the bad stuff because then you're going to start noticing all the bad stuff, correct? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's um, and, and the news has become a little bit of a, it's become very difficult during COVID because there are times when we really needed to see the news because there was an event or uh, an important announcement, particularly in Australia when we had rolling lockdowns. And I know we've all done it differently. We've all done it the best way we can, but there were times when the news was a really valuable source of information. But at other times, the news, we see the, the murder and, and mayhem, which is maybe 0.0 whatever percent of the population behaving badly and we become can become so absorbed in that we don't see someone down the street holding helping an, an elder with their shopping or noticing a random act of kindness and once again the most important thing in creating your future is is notice notice what you notice are you noticing what's actually going to help you get to where you want to go are you going to notice something that's going to lift you up or are you going to notice something that keeps you stuck where you are? I love that. So mindset is everything. Now we're talking about noticing things. Um, one story in your book, I just could not help but laugh at because I'm from the South and we have a lot of possums in the South. So let's talk about that and how you did not see that possum. And then all of a sudden you saw the possum. <laughs> I love that. I didn't know that you had possums where you are as well. I'm not a fan of the possum myself, but um, I talk in the book about there's a, there's the chapters are divided into very easily accessible sections. And I think this one, that one was either in you can ignore your brain or you can train your mind because your brain is designed ultimately to keep you safe. So our brain is everything that's inside our, our head in, in, our, in our skull, whereas our mind is all throughout our body and that can actually radiate outwards in terms of energy. But our brain is trained to keep us safe. So, you know, um, an open fire means danger or um, a stranger can be something to be fearful of. Well, we have all these patterns. And one thing that I, I recognised how powerful my brain was in finding a, a pattern, even though it made no sense whatsoever, was one night my, my husband and I were, were in bed and we heard a, a sound of crashing glass in the kitchen. And it was three o'clock in the morning. So we, we got there as fast as we could, which was probably 10 second delay. And there was a, a glass smashed on the, the sink, um, the draining board, but there was there was no evidence of anything else. And three o'clock, I I'm, I'm, can be pretty groggy. And I remember looking around and we only had one light on in the house. And I remember seeing what looked like a curved tail kind of disappear around a doorway. And I remember thinking, oh, that's very strange. We don't have a cat. But I didn't think anything else of it. It didn't register at all. And I just w went back to bed. We thought, oh, that's really weird. And, you know, when you can't um, explain something, you make up random explanations. Perhaps it was the wind. Perhaps it was balanced precariously. So I went back to bed and got up and it was a pretty normal day and I, I got the children off to school and I was writing from home that day. And it was about three, four hours later, I went into my daughter's room to drop off some laundry and I noticed on her bookshelf, on the bottom row of books between the, the books and the shelf above, there was this huge possum all curled up, sound asleep. And it had come down her chimney and that's how it had made its way around the house. And I was absolutely horrified and I, I called the possum person and he did amazing things and released the <laughs> back into the wild. But I thought, 
how could it's my brain told me what I was supposed to see so I didn't actually see what was happening that that was a that was a real wake-up call that one as to how many tricks our brain can actually play on us that is so funny I could not help but laugh because I'm like in the south a possum is like an every you like you see them on the side of the road where people have hit them at night because they're out at night so yeah. I just could not help but start laughing like how did she not see that possum how did your daughter not see it either Oh, I know. Well, I was so grateful she didn't because she was only little at the time. She was about eight years old and she would have just come and run and told me. But I was very grateful it was a nocturnal creature. So by the time I saw it and we dealt with it, it was still, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. It was still sound asleep. But yes, it was very funny. I was horrified. I hadn't seen it. I got to know, did you scream? No. There was a, but I didn't want to wake it up. So I, I ran down the hallway and my, my oldest son was home. He was at uni at the time. And I said, oh, my God, I found the possum. So, yes, but it was quite horrifying. <laughs> I started laughing at that. And that's what you talk to call in your book, Intentional Blindness as well, right? Yeah. yeah because sometimes there is uh, we, we're so set in our, uh, the way we, we feel and, and think about something that we don't actually see what's really going on because it doesn't fit within the pattern in, a, in our mind. And if I can jump in and, and give an example of how we can use intentional blindness when we travel to and to backwards and forwards in time, which we do in our feelings constantly, mm -hmm. to give you an example of feeling backwards, which we do all the time, let's say you run into your you're out on your lunch break and you're walking to get some lunch and you run into a friend you haven't seen for ages and they're not a super close friend but they're close enough you see them you want to stop and say hello and while you're exchanging you know you run through that topic of those list of questions when you haven't seen anyone for a while how are you how's the family what are you doing now are you still living in x and while you're running through those those questions with this old friend, you notice they they just seem a little off. They they seem a little distracted. They're shifting from side to side, and they don't glance at their watch. But you get the feeling that they need to be somewhere else. And you finish the conversation, and then you you keep going and say goodbye, and you keep walking on to get your lunch. And you think you start to go backwards into your memory, and then you start to make new connections. You think, well, yeah. I, Perhaps I, I can remember when, you know, they let me down or you perhaps you go back because you're so disturbed. They didn't seem as pleased to see you as you were to see them. You think, oh, yeah, I remember that time they said they do this and they didn't. Or I remember that time they, they said we were going out and they blew me off. And by the time you've, you've finished feeling backwards about this person, you've probably changed the opinion you had that was different from when you just ran into them suddenly. But then you go back again because a couple of days later someone rings you and you mention, oh, I saw I saw so-and-so who's a mutual friend. And they say, oh, so-and-so, they're going through such a rough time. Someone close to them has been really, really sick and they've had to take care of their kids and it's just been a really tough time for them. So you go back in time again and you think of that moment you, you met them and chatted with them and then you notice wow, they actually were looking really tired and they were looking a little thinner. And actually when we said goodbye, they did say to me and look really sincerely at me in the eyes and say, it was so good to see you. Mm -hmm. It's great. I love it that, that example because it's so accessible to all of us when we run into an old friend and, and we kind of adjust our, our memories through our feelings of the encounter. But that's when once you're presented with a different set of facts about why that person might be behaving the way they are you can use your emotions to think oh, okay now i can make sense of that mm -hmm. and then if you use feeling forwards how you feel about that person after you've been in that situation will carry forwards into the future so in the first scenario you think well you know it was it was okay to see them but i might not rush to see them again once you find out the real reason or you change your feelings about the encounter you think gosh what can i do to help them perhaps i could ring them up in a couple of weeks and see if there's anything i could do yeah and on that note let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back do you feel betrayed by life your body or by someone that you love 
You are not alone and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it, I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women for 15 years. I lost everything that day, my identity, my worth, and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am, what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self-worth, which is the ability to see, know, and love yourself for who you are, not for what you accomplish or for who you are in relation to others. No matter what has shattered your heart, if you're ready to get clear on who you are, what you want, and to learn how good life really can be, then life choreography is for you. Even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything. Life Choreography is a comprehensive five-month, five-step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to nakedselfworth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past, reclaim your sexy, and start re-choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are. And we're back. We're chatting with Elizabeth, and she wrote the book Feeling Forwards. And Elizabeth, before we go on, I wanted to read a part that I kind of highlighted in your book. I mean, I highlighted several parts, but this particular one, it's right after you talked about um, painting your window frames white. And it says, on one level, I wasn't surprised. There was a terrible final link between cause and effect. During the attack, I'd been mutilated in the exact place the cancer grew. I never felt the same about that part of my body afterwards. There was no hatred in my heart that would have created a place for my attacker to live forever, but I couldn't erase what happened. And that kind of just stood out to me. And I made sure I wanted to read it today because when you were talking about where you were mutilated was where that cancer, why do you think the correlation is with that? Oh, because our, our mind and our body are so, are so closely intertwined. Uh, it was, I think the emotions generated not only within your heart, but when you're, when you're, within your body are so extreme when you're in a place of trauma, your body develops, if you like, a, a memory of that trauma. And if you're not able to, to clear it away or there's, there's a susceptibility in your body at that time anyway, then I think it's, it, it is a direct link between why I did develop cancer in, in that part of my body. I mean, I think the, the uh, home invasion was a terrible thing, but it, it's also exposed that there were cracks in my relationship to start with that were already there. So my, my, my body was operating on a fairly low um, level of happiness anyway. But it was when I, I spoke with Dr. Kelly Turner in, for the book and I actually who's written a book called Radical Remission and I appeared in her book Radical Hope but she talks about cancer patients who have a less than 25% of survival who managed to achieve remission and she's done some incredible work in her PhD in identifying how they they did that or what the factors could be and the first the first thing she said was, if, you, if you're in fight or flight, your body produces certain chemicals and hormones. And until you get out of fight or flight, you, your body can't then produce a completely different set of chemicals and hormones that will heal your body. I mean, I, I, it's in the book, but it's we have, we have chemicals in our body that are antiviral. We have 
chemicals that are um, anti-cancer, anti, um, any kind of bug that you could get. Our body has the ability to fight it, but you can't fight it while you're in fight or flight. And I think the challenge for me was, and I only touch it on it very briefly in the book, but between the attack and, and, and the perpetrator being caught, there was a six-week period, maybe longer, and he knew where I lived. So I wasn't safe in my own home and my, I reach out to anyone listening who has a similar experience because your home should be a place of, of happiness but also a place of safety and that wasn't for me. And I think that completely wreaked havoc with what my body was feeling and so that's why I, I do believe there was a link between that event and what eventually occurred. Wow. So let's talk about the reason why you wrote the book. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book. Because I actually, like I said, I am engrossed in this and I'm looking up and researching some of the things that you're actually writing about in the book. Awesome. I wrote the book because I, I firstly I found a link. There was a, there was a gradual link between my previous two books. So when I recovered from cancer, I, I saw that everyone was writing about what to eat when you're a cancer patient and um, what to do and treatments, but no one was writing about what they were thinking and feeling, and particularly people who'd come out the other side, what they were thinking and feeling. And I knew what I'd done, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to, to find out if there is a common theme? So I wrote The Secrets of Cancer Survivors, and I found out there was a common theme, but there was a, also a much stronger correlation to what people felt um, as to what they thought about their feelings were actually what project what carried them through with a hopeful belief that I can do this rather than their thoughts and um, believe me when you're going through chemo three o'clock in the morning your thoughts aren't all that great mm -hmm. and then I wrote a book called happy children's secrets of how they think because I was in a situation where I'd, I'd come through cancer but my life was significantly changed and I had two small children and they'd, they'd witnessed the event and I, as a mother, I so wanted them to see the world as a wonderful place, not a terrible place where these things happened. And so I, I wondered, well, most parenting books are written by psychologists who see by the nature of their work, children who aren't coping. I thought, well, are there a group of children that are coping, even though they might be bullied or have family issues or everything else? What could I learn from those children? So I found this group of incredible children and, and I, I wrote that book. But one of the aha moments for me was when one of the younger children, because they were mainly 11 and 12, so they were pre-adolescent when they were still at that gorgeous phase and I had a couple of younger ones almost as a, a control group and one of the younger ones just looked at me I was talking about being bullied or challenges at school and she looked at me and said but I decide when I'm happy and I thought okay now this is really interesting because for so long feelings have been the second cousin to thoughts it's like get your thoughts right and your life will just just fall into place and that set me on the journey of, of feeling forwards and in my own colourful life, uh, I've acquired this knowledge and this, this ability to, to choose my feelings no matter what is happening. And then I thought, okay, can I find some scientific proof for this? Can I find some experiments and other people that have chosen to completely transform themselves, not only in, in their personal lives, but even scientifically using the power of the motion? And that really set me on a, on a path when I realized I could do that and then I developed feeling forwards for all my coaching work as well. I know you just hit on about the children I know you said that when we're little we don't think about things that we cannot do we think about our imagination goes wild and we think about all the things that we can do when we grow up we can be a police officer we can be an actress we can be whatever we want to be but then once we start, yeah, I guess getting out more into the world and the world starts weighing us down, we always see things that we're not instead of things that we are or things that we can be. Absolutely. And because we, we have so much knowledge, we get bogged down in how. So we're, we're here. We want to be there. And we think we know how it's going to happen. And I, I share a, a story in the book, and I, I don't know, um, uh, if you've got to this part yet about the financing of, of our my husband and my own business, have you got to that story? Not yet, but go ahead. 
Oh, sure. Okay. So my husband is a, a finance guy, so he, he lives feeling forwards, but he's very left brain. So we have all sorts of, he's a great person to test out a lot of, of ideas on. But we bought a business together around the time of um, the global financial crisis. And he'd been a senior executive and decided he wanted his own business. So he bought this business right when it broke. And when we took over the business, the projected income was 30% less than we had anticipated, which was obviously a problem. And we needed a certain amount of, of cash to be able to build the business to make sure it got where we wanted to go. And I kept saying to him, look, what we need to do is we need to plan as though we already have that money. We need to make sure we know what kind of people we want to hire, the direction we're going in, all of this feeling forward stuff. And he said, yeah, but where, where is the kind of money, where is the money going to come from? How is it going to happen? I said, we don't need to know how it's going to happen. We just need to anticipate that it's going to happen and plan for it and it will all work out. So you can imagine his his finance brain was really getting fried by this point. So but we did that and we had um, we were fortunate enough we had some investments we were able to sell to keep going. So we sold $300,000 worth of investments, which was very fortunate we had that. And the day after we did that and put the money into the business, my husband came home and he said, look, something really weird happened today because we got paid again. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we got another 300000 I said, well, that is weird, but it must be in some kind of administrative error. He said, yeah, of course. He said, well, call them tomorrow. So he rang the, the broking firm and said, look, you know, you made a mistake. And they went and looked at their records and they said, oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, but you are completely incorrect. You have only received one amount of $300,000 and I, I don't know what you're talking about, but it doesn't exist. Oh. So then my husband came home and, and then we sat down and it was not a dilemma because it never occurred to either of us to spend that money because it wasn't ours. But putting my legal hat on, because I was a, a lawyer first, I said to, to Rob, I said, well, now we have a problem because this could be some kind of weird money laundering situation where Mr. Smith rings up and says, oh, um, we've made a mistake, just transfer it to this account. And we're actually not going to know whether that's legitimate. So we have to be very careful what we do. So what we decided in the end was we put the money in an account where it was offset against the business loan. I won't go into the details, but we had quite a lot of benefit from the money but we didn't actually touch it. And you know, that extra $300,000 was exactly what we needed to get through that six month period. And it enabled us to build everything that we planned for. And uh, we, we were very, very grateful. But at the end of 11 months, and we were, we were worried that they would actually never find this money that had been allocated to us. And then that was a whole new set of dilemmas. But 11 months after this money had miraculously appeared, my husband got a phone call from the managing director of the firm saying, oh, Mr. Gould, we have made a terrible mistake and we realise you alerted us to this terrible mistake, but do you still have the money? And Rob said, of course we do. Would you like me to write you a cheque? And I said to Rob afterwards, look, this is, this is a great example of how if I'd sat in a bathtub for a month with a wet towel around my head, I would never have come up with that was how we were going to get the extra money we needed to overcome what the economic situation had delivered. But we just, I just felt as though it was there. We took action. We behaved as though the money was there. We became the people that had the ability to get through that financial crisis. And so we did. So how hard was it to have your mind thinking like that, especially you said your husband is not, he's finance brain. So how hard was it to get to where you could actually think about that? You know, it becomes a habit. I'm writing a, a, a blog at the moment called um, Three Ways to Increase Your Confidence Before You Get Out of Bed. And it's really noticing what you notice. I have an exercise I call um, reversing the to-do list. And look, I'm a big fan of lists and I'm not saying throw out your to-do list because it's, it's a very useful thing. But the challenge is that once you get into the habit of the to-do list, all you notice is what you haven't done. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I do as part of the feeling forwards framework, I, I do a reversing to-do list because 
the moment when we fall asleep and the moment we wake up is a bit like having tabs on your computer open. You know, you open the lid and if you haven't shut down, you've got all those tabs. Well, your mind is the same. Whatever you, you're thinking about when you go to sleep, it's going to be there in the morning. So instead of my last thought at night of what I haven't done, I think about what I have done. I think about what I did get done that day, what was unexpected, what was maybe an unexpected challenge, but I found a way through it. And then in the morning, I wake up with the same feelings and the same focus. And then that gives me the confidence to, yeah, I'm so pleased I got that done yesterday. That was difficult. I can't believe that came up at the last minute, particularly when you're a parent, you know, you plan your day and then something happens. And then that gives you the, the, the positive emotions and the kickstart you need. And you think, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a great day. Now you mentioned earlier that you were a lawyer. What other background do you have as well? Well, I, I, I like change. I like new things until I, I settled into this career. So I was a lawyer, then I moved from there into management consulting. So I was a, a project manager for large scale projects. And what I really loved doing was projects where the business had tried to make a change and quite often it was cultural but hadn't quite been able to do it within their existing framework. So I loved doing that. And then I went into executive recruitment. I became a partner in a national business and I spent years interviewing tens of thousands of senior executives about why they'd made the decisions they've made in their career and how they'd been successful and the impact they had made. And that was very, very a great prequel to my coaching later on, but I actually was unwell through the cancer journey and I had to, to give away my corporate career, which was broke my heart at the time. But that's when I switched from, I'd written for many years. I was determined to become the next Agatha Christie. So I'd written so many novels and plays and films that just really no one was interested in. And then after, when I was recovering from cancer, I wrote Secrets of Cancer Survivors and became the classic overnight success. The book was published in eight countries and, and did really, really well. And then I took a bit of a break between after that book and Happy Children, um, I became unwell again. So I helped my husband build his business. Um, I focused on the family. And then I decided to re-emerge into, I had this concept and I thought, no, it's time to get back to writing and speaking. And I actually reached out to an old, old um, mentor of mine who's Tony Robbins. And he had, I'd written a book to, sent him a copy of Cancer Survivors and he'd sent me a letter which I've used in some marketing. But I reached out to him three or four years ago and said, look, I'm, I'm back. This is what's been happening. This is what I'm writing about. Long story short, I, I met him in a private meeting in Sydney and then he invited me to two other conferences in the States. He's supported the book with a quote. He's been incredibly generous to Feeling Forwards. And I also ended up being part of Randy Zuckerberg's uh, Zuckerberg Institute, a global leadership school. She asked me to be one of the founding members. So I was coaching entrepreneurs around the world through that for a couple of years as well. And that's when I was able to develop a lot of the Feeling Forwards ideas. And I could see so many entrepreneurs had an amazing idea. They, they knew where they wanted to go, uh, but quite often, particularly in the middle of their journey, it was their emotions that would be holding them back. A lack of confidence or criticism from family and friends became overwhelming. You know, why isn't your app out yet? And that's when the, the feeling forwards from the entrepreneurial perspective really got cemented as well. So how important is it as an entrepreneur to be feeling forwards instead of feeling backwards or in the present instead of looking, you know, look toward the future? I think it's it's actually the main thing because an entrepreneur, I mean, we start out with an idea, whether it's an idea for a book or a blog or, and you know, when you have that idea, it's, it's like falling in love. You get so excited and you can see it's going to be amazing in your imagination. And those, those, that flood of emotions carries you forward over the first two or three steps. But then I've never known any invention or book or app or widget that has turned out exactly the same way that you thought it was. There's always a pivot. There's always a tweak. I love the story of, I don't know, I think it's called Post-it Notes in the States, but Post-it Notes and Superglue were invented for 
completely different reasons. The person that invented the post-it note was trying to create a superglue. And the person who created superglue was trying to invent an adhesive with very little stickiness. Mm. Now, if they only used their thinking, they would have looked, the scientists would have looked at their, their results of their experiments and thought, well, this is a complete waste of time. I set out to do a super glue. I've come up with this thing that won't stick. Let's just toss that away. And, and vice versa, same for the other one. But instead, they looked at it with their heart and thought, okay, this isn't what I set out to do, but this could be kind of cool. So what can I do with this? and start to get excited about the possibilities. And it's being excited about the possibilities, being able to sustain a vision of what you want to achieve, even when everything seems stacked against you, just like those books I read when they were told they weren't attractive enough or their nose were too big or their speeches were boring. It's the ability to be able to harness your emotions to keep going. That is the difference between having the life that you want and being stuck in the one you don't. Yeah, that goes back to when you said you read books about the basis of fixing what is wrong, not celebrating what is right. Yes, and, and so often there is we, we live in a world that is can be quite critical and everything we do can be can be scrutinized. And it's like I, I think if you know if Edison had become weighed down by the fact that he hadn't created the, the light bulb 990 times before he actually did, it was his emotions that would have carried him forward. That one day I know this is going to happen, and I just have to keep going. Yeah, it's so true. Now let's talk about the process of writing the book. How long did it take you to write the book? Oh, good question. Because I I actually went back and did. Um, a very big check when COVID broke out because I wanted the book still to, it was obviously a change, going to be a very changed world and I wanted to make sure that the message was appropriate. So from zero to a book, it can take me between a, a, a finished book with perhaps one or two rewrites. It can take me between three months to a year. But the actual writing of the book to me is separate from the research of the book. So I probably spent uh, a year researching all the articles and, and everything that you've read about in the book. And I, I was particularly careful. It's probably the lawyer coming out in me. If I couldn't verify it, if I couldn't take it back to the source, it didn't get into the book. And even if I saw something that was um, a concept or an article that was mentioned in an online newspaper, I went back to the original scientific journal and I read it through. So that took a while. I probably rewrote the book once I'd finished it six or seven times and that took me for six months of the of last year. So it's a it's a it's a moving feast. It can be it can be very quick. It, the other books were certainly a lot quicker than this one, but this had quite a lot of research into it and I really wanted to make sure it was solid. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was going to ask you, did this book probably had more research than the other ones? Because, I mean, I don't think there's not a chapter where at least not one or two research projects is actually mentioned in the chapter that you have to go and look up. And, and let's talk about where did you get the um, research? How did you research? How did you find the research to include in your book? Well, I'm a bit of a collector of ideas. So I have notebooks going back over a decade if I see something interesting I think oh let me just record that as an idea and a concept and then gradually it's like when I when I read or absorb information through podcasts and articles it's like every piece of information for me is a, a jigsaw piece and sometimes it's going to fit into a book later on and sometimes it's not but I read you would have there's a book counterclockwise I refer to which is um Professor Langer from Harvard University. I read that book probably 25 years ago and remembered it just because I found the concept so interesting. So I think I'm confessing to being a bit of a nerd, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you don't write like it's research-based. You write like, and that's one of the things that I really love about the fact that when the very beginning, when you read your introduction, you your friends actually handed the book back to you and said, you need to put more of yourself into this book. So let's yeah. talk about that. How hard was it to put more of yourself into it? Or are you did, did that idea did not even come to you until your friend said, hey, you're leaving your, out, yourself out of this book. 
Yes, it was it was lovely advice. They were they were very tactful. I think they thought I was going to get upset, but I was actually just very very grateful. I think my experience has been very unique, and and but my life is my life. It's like all of us only really know ourselves, and so sometimes I it was a gentle reminder that perhaps the experience experiences I have been through are slightly more unusual than. I think they are because they've they've happened to me. I accepted them, absorbed them, found a purpose and meaning and moved on. But it was like, no, actually you have been through some things that other people could learn from that they hopefully will never experience. So it's okay to put all of that in, not just all these incredible ideas and other real-life stories because there are so many stories of entrepreneurs that I've interviewed and, and helped and people that I've come into contact with as well. Well, I will say reading the book, I feel like it's actually you're sitting there having a conversation with me because like when you talk about the monkey business illusion, you're like, stop, go look it up and then come back to me. And I'm like, this is so cool. I mean, it's like you're actually having a conversation and you're actually like, okay, it makes you want to stop. Go look it up. Go look it up on YouTube. I mean, it's a short, what, three, four minute video. Go look yeah. it up and come back and go, wow, you know? Did you expect so it to be conversational? Yes, yes, and I love that you've said that. When you when you um, get to the end of the book, there is a little note for you as the reader because every book I, I write, or well, everything I write, it's as though it's as though the reader's there with me, and, and I stop and I think, mm, have I been clear? Am I rambling? And then I'll go back, and <laughs> have a look at it, and to me, that's the the greatest gift I can give the reader is to take a, a concept that could be complicated and just actually say no 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 you can you can use this straight away it's it's really quite straightforward let's think of it like this let's apply it to your own life and away you go i mean i, I get a little frustrated sometimes when i read books where i love the ideas but i'm i'm flipping through saying just tell me what to do tell me tell me how to apply this this is great so that was very much at the front of my mind when i wrote the book so i'm, I'm thrilled that you've had that response to it and I love how at the front of every chapter, you talk about like you have like questions and then you have a quote by somebody. I love that. Were you planning on doing that to begin with or was that something you added in later? That evolved. Um, and so so much of my life, I, I now, I mean, even the way I structure my day, I do it in a feeling forwards way. So I do the task that's most important to my longest term future first and then I do then I work through the day. So when I was writing the chapter, I mean so often you see dot points or discussion notes at the end. And I thought, well no, if we're really taking this idea that we can bring the future into our present, let's talk about where you might be by the end of the chapter and introduce that idea to you now. So you know have you ever had a feeling that um, something amazing was going to happen? And then it did, for example. And then that was in the chapter talking about you can embrace the inexplicable or have you ever felt as though you've already been in this place before? So I, what I do is I, I present your mind with a little taste of what you're going to find in the chapter so your, your mind is already open to what you're going to, to read about. And then your quotes as well from people. They're from all over the place. I mean, some of them, I, like, I think I saw a Buddha one. Um, so where did you get the quotes? Was this something that you already had written down and you decided to include it? Or was that something that maybe you did a little research on it as well? All of the above. And really, I love that you mentioned that because the, the, the importance of feelings has actually been discussed by many people and written about over the centuries. It just recently hasn't been paid so much attention to. I mean, I love I'm, I'm, Abraham Lincoln has so many wonderful quotes, but when he said the best way to predict your future is to design it, it's a, a clear indication that the future isn't something that'll just happen to you one day. The future is something you can actually have an impact on right now. As I say, today is the past of your future. Everything you do today will be tomorrow, the next day. So whatever you do today, if you multiply that by 365 times, that's your life a year from now. What you do today creates the future of tomorrow. There was another quote um, 
I love Ralph Waldo Emerson when he said, um, dare to live the life of which you have dreamed of, not dare to dream, dare to live the dream. And I love the, um, you know, when we see um, athletes, and I know it might be running out of time, but when you see a, a, a young person who wants to be a professional athlete, they embody so much of feeling forwards because they eat, train and sleep mm -hmm. as though they were already that successful athlete before they've won a championship or a gold medal because when they're professional, their life doesn't change. They still have the same routine of eating and sleeping and training and, and looking at their mindset and feeling as though it's possible. Uh, they Their today is directly aligned with the future that they want. So what's the one thing that people can start doing to feel forward, feeling forward? Notice what you notice. Whatever it is you want in your future, whether it's, you know, and success to me is not defined by monetary terms or, or status, whether it's to make a big contribution to the world, to have a loving family, to, to be wealthy if that's what you want or to attain your degree. If you think about the person you want to be in five years' time and then look at what you're doing today, quite often you find what you're doing today isn't something that you're going to be as that person who has the life you want. Mm. Are you going to be, um, I mean, it's an easy example, but are you really going to be binge watching on Netflix if you want to be very successful in this particular area? One example that's very accessible is I find quite often entrepreneurs are terrible at managing their finances for their business and terrible at managing money generally. And they say, oh, look, that's okay because when I'm successful and, and when my app's launched and I've got a million downloads, I'll hire an accountant. And I'm like, no really successful people and wealthy people, um, they manage their money from day one. If you think $10,000 is hard to manage, you wait till you've got 10 million. You have mm -hmm. to have that attribute now. That's how you create the future you want, not just saying, oh, it'll it'll be all right when, when I've done this, when I've done that. Because quite often, unless you plan for your future, when doesn't happen. Wow. And so let's talk about what you have planned for your future now. <laughs> What's coming up next for you? <laughs> I love that because I've, I've started thinking about the, the sequel. I've got a few things in the pipeline. I'm, I'm developing a, a short course called the Fabulous Future Framework where I'm actually going to walk everyone through the three aspects to designing your future, which is deciding on your aim, not a goal. Your aim is much broader than that. And this is towards the end of the book. You have to let me know um, how you go when you finish it. What your justification is, I mean, it's an extension, if you like, of your purpose and meaning. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning, even when things aren't going great or circumstances are not what you want? And really being able to harness that just the emotions of your justification. And then what activities and circumstances you can create. Um, like I said, I structure my day so I start my day with the most important thing for my future. I actually have five questions I ask myself every morning when I'm doing my journal called the top five questions to create your future. And that is accessible through, through my website. So I'm developing all of those. I think the sequel, I've had an incredible response from the, the parenting segment of the market. I had a beautiful review from a lady who told me that through reading the introduction, and, and you'll know what I mean, talking about that we're already complete, that her son got enough confidence to stop being bullied. And as a family, they sat down and put some boundaries in place because they wanted to be the family in the future that they wanted to be and they felt like they were stuck in the present. So I've been so, so touched and humbled by how families have applied feeling forwards. Um, I'm also looking at perhaps another, it will be an extension of feeling forwards, whether or not it's a collection of, look, this is what people around the world have used feeling forwards to achieve. I think that would be a really interesting book as well. But I reckon I'm about three months away from putting pen to paper for the sequel and more important, importantly, I was visiting your beautiful country every um, three to six months before the pandemic and I cannot wait to get back to speak and to, to present a book. So that's very much on my list. So let's talk about that since the pandemic happened, what is it like in Australia with the pandemic? Cause I know a lot of people are wondering what, how other countries are handling it. Look, we, we took a very different approach early on. And I think 
we're an island, so we had the luxury of, of not having to worry about border control except within the states. So at the moment, we're at zero cases across the country. We did have a very hard lockdown starting from March onwards, from state to state, and, and my home state of Victoria ended up having two very hard lockdowns. So we started our vaccination program, which is is progressing slower than we would like. We've opened up our borders to New Zealand, but I think we're going to be a little isolated maybe till the end of the year. I'm hoping I can sneak out um, before the end of 2021 and, and come and visit you all and not have to go into enforced two-week quarantine, but, but we'll see. So have you been vaccinated yet? 3rd of May is my first shot. Okay. Because I know here, everybody here is allowed vaccines now. It's like they rolled it out for like tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five. Now everybody's allowed vaccines. So, yeah, that's fantastic. So is life almost back to normal for you guys or has been for a while? Mm, there are some people that still think that COVID is a hoax put on by the government, that it's not really real. And it's so funny that a lot of the people that are doing that now are the ones that are ending up with, because they've been out and about, are the ones that end up with COVID. And then all of a sudden their minds changed. But um, a lot of people aren't wearing masks like they should because they think, oh, once we have vaccines, we don't, we still, you know, it's not, everybody's still not vaccinated yet. So we still have more. So people think, oh, well, we don't have to wear a mask anymore because we've been vaccinated or we don't have to do the six feet apart, which honestly, I love the six feet apart because you don't have somebody right up underneath you. Yeah. I mean, I wish they kept the signs up. I mean, a lot of people think it's back to normal. And I'm like, no, it's not. Not quite yet. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's been been a hard emotional journey for all of us. I think when 2020 finished, we kind of hoped 2021 was going to be really different. And it's kind of a, a long lingering tale from 2020, which might extend towards the end of, of this year. But um, I, th I think everyone's doing the best they can, but it's it's been, there are no winners in a pandemic. It's been very hard. No winners. Now, how can we do feeling forwards in a pandemic? Well, that's a great question. And I actually had a, a very nasty, almost like a, a dress rehearsal. So I'm very clear on how I can answer that question. But in January 2020, I had two family members close to me who were facing life challenges through no fault of their own. But, you know, when you get your kids get older, they have big decisions to make and sometimes things happen. So I had two in that category. And then a very close girlfriend went from having a slight cough to stage four lung cancer. Mm -hmm. So I had these three beautiful people that I could love and support, but I couldn't control, even influence any of the outcomes of what was happening to them. And I, I was not sleeping. I was beside myself. And then one morning my husband woke up and I said, look, we have to use feeling forwards to get through this because there's nothing we can do apart from be ourselves, but I need to get out of this state of stress and fight or flight. So let's pick three things that we're going to do that in six months' time we're going to look back on and be really, really proud that we did, no matter what else was happening or what else happens. So we chose one exercise health goal and then we chose two other personal goals and we documented it and talked about it and talked about how proud we would feel when we'd achieve those goals and, and we did. And, of course, by that time the pandemic was in full swing and we were in lockdown. So the health goal was quite funny because we couldn't go more than two miles from our house for anything. So we used to walk in circles a lot around our house in a two-mile radius. But I was with my husband so it was fun. And I thank heavens, but the two... Um, situations I was concerned about got resolved really well in a way I could never have imagined how. And my girlfriend was in remission. She, her oncologist said to her, I have no idea how you did this, but you've done it. But yes, I used feeling forwards myself through the, the pandemic to, to choose something that I could control because at the end of the day, we can't control what happens to us. We can all only control how we react. But feeling forwards is not about waiting for something to happen. It's about becoming the person that will react no matter what happens in the way you want to choose. So that's how we managed it. So 
So I love the way you said exercise because that's how I handled the pandemic as well with exercise, going out and walking and just being active. And it's so funny that you should say that because during one of my walks, I'm going to bring it back to a little story in the book that you told, um, we actually saw a mama possum with all her babies hanging on her during one of the walks. And it was in the middle of the day. So go figure. Oh, wow. Oh, well, we have this, this um, I, I'm so pleased that we've got this possum thing happening. That's amazing. <laughs> so where can people find you at? Well, I would love everyone to visit me and send me an email about what they think about the book. That's at my website, elizabethgould.com. I do have a Facebook page, Elizabeth Gould Official, but I've just launched a Feeling Forwards Facebook page, which I'm very excited about, which will obviously have a lot of information about the lovely interview today, but also book reviews and comments from readers and my latest articles. I also have a lot of my articles and blogs on elizabethgould.com or you can read them on Medium. My podcast is Feeling Forwards and my Instagram is elizabethgould underscore. Okay, and can you leave us with one last nugget about Feeling Forwards? You can change your future starting today. It's It starts today. If you think of the person who has the life you want and you live that life today, that is exactly what will happen. Today is the past of your future and treat it as such. I love that. Elizabeth, I want to thank you for coming on. The book, again, is Feeling Forwards. And, y'all, you need to pick this book up. It is amazing. So, Elizabeth, thank you for coming on. It's been my pleasure, Melissa. Thank you for a beautiful interview. Okay, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the Block Cabin. Bye. Y'all, I really enjoy talking with Elizabeth. I could have talked with her for the rest, for a couple of hours. I mean, seriously. We And the thing of the possums was so funny to me. I just could not help but laugh at that because it's really hilarious. Um, thank you so much for being part of the podcast family. Please like, leave a rating, a review, wherever you listen to it to. Um, you want to go over to YouTube, subscribe. That would be great. And I want you to be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.